Good morning. It's your girl, Joy Melody, and we're here to help you start your Mondays off right. We're here to talk about a little education, a little mental health, and the music we use to cope in this crazy, crazy world. I hope you enjoy the show, and you're listening to more. Good morning, everyone. Thank you all so much for listening. I told y'all I'd have some great guests this season. Um, So I have a special guest. Y'all know I'm a reader, so I'm going to keep coming with the authors as much as I can. Please introduce yourself. Hi, everybody. Uh, My name is Brian Broom. I am an instructor in writing at the University of Pittsburgh, and I'm the author of Punch Me Up to the Gods, uh, a memoir. And it is a memoir that drops next month. Well, May, I don't know what what day this will. May two, May 2021, May 18th, if I remember correctly. It's May 18th, yes. Uh, yeah, it's so many good books coming out. Um, I finished this book in a day and a half. I It is amazing. It is good. Walk me through what decided, what made you realize it's time for me to write a memoir. Well, I actually never realized it's time for me to write a memoir. Um, What happened was, um, and this is probably going to be a story that I tell a bunch of times, but I went to rehab um, and for drugs and alcohol. And I had this roommate um, and he just snored like a tractor. He was so loud. I couldn't get any sleep. Talk about me. No. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't sleep. And so I was up nights. Um, and there's not a whole lot to do in rehab. The whole place would be quiet except for him like snoring. And so I would just sit up and I would write. I used to write when I was a kid, but I stopped. Um, but I, um, I just would write and I decided to just write like, okay, I'm going to write some stories about how I think I ended up here, um, in this rehab in the middle of nowhere with this you know, snoring dude, you know, eight feet away from me. How did I end up here? So I just started writing these stories. Um, You know, I was there for uh, quite a while. Um, So I ended up writing a few stories. And then um, when I got out, I was afraid to go anywhere because I was afraid I would relapse. Um, And so I just started, I just was writing all the time in my house. And a friend of mine, um, said to me, like, why don't you try to get some of these published? I had no idea what that meant. Um, And so I tried that. And then I started to miss people. So I decided I was going to perform my little stories. Um, So I started doing like The Moth and, um, you know, different little local events around the city where I live. And that's how I got an agent. And she said, "Um, what are you writing? And I said, I just have these stories, you know, these stories about my life. And so from there, that's when it kind of like took off. Like we're going to write all these stories about how I, why I think I ended up in rehab. So it sounds to me like it was writing for survival at the time, Um, writing for reflection, survival, and then real someone, it took someone to be like, these are, you should probably put these in a book. So yeah, I mean, really, it was, it was really kind of like journaling. I used to journal a lot. Um, when I was a kid, just writing about my day and, you know, things like that. And then somebody told me that was weird. So I stopped doing it. Um, but, you know, they told me it was weird for a, for a boy. They were like, yeah, they were like, girls only do that. Only girls write in diaries. So I stopped. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was writing for just, you know, who am I? You know, like, why am I here? I had no idea who I was. I had no idea why I was 
hooked to drugs and alcohol. Um, well, I had some idea, um, <laughs> but I was just trying to get, you know, a little bit of clarity. And that's how it, that's how it started with this particular memoir. And your memoir is, again, it's like, I don't want to spoil it, but also like, who cares? Like they can read it. And it's, <laughs> um, your memoir, the way it's written and your, the way you decide to thread Tuan's story throughout the whole thing, I think that was probably one of the things that made it different. And you, it felt like you were having, it was, you were having this conversation with yourself, but also the reader of like, what made you, basically it was this beautiful thread of like how when, it made me think of like when I'm sitting somewhere and like I see a little kid and I'm like, I remember when I was that age. And then I'm like, all of a sudden that memory is cool. Then all of a sudden it's tainted. Then all of a sudden it's, and so it felt very conversational and conversational and relatable. Was that your, when you sat down and you're like, I'm going to write a memoir, did you think that's what I'm going to do? Or did that just come to you randomly and you're like, I think this is a thing that'll hold it all together? It came to me, it didn't come to me randomly so much as it was, it just sort of presented itself in front of me. I write on the bus all the time. It's like the perfect place to write. I don't know why more people don't do it. I don't know why I don't see people just, I get on the bus instead of people staring at their phones, everybody should be writing. But I'm then that would take on the bus, so you don't ride the bus. I know I'm, I read when I do take the bus, but I also right. live in Texas, so like public transportation is not our strongest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> our strongest suit. Um, but my husband's from Philly, and he loves the bus. Like he's like, that's my thing. Do not bother me on the bus. But oh, I yeah. read. I can't think I could write. Like I don't know. So that's impressive. Oh, it's just like this moment alone. And, you know, what really helps is that you have so much material. Like I used to write. Um, um, all the time. There's a bus in the city where I live called the P1. Um, and I used to just sit on the P1 and just write about what I was seeing. Like, you know, people, it was just, it's just this, what, you know, where else can you see all these like different kinds of people, like going different places and doing different things. And, you know, one day when I was on the bus, I saw this man, um, and his son, and it really struck me how they were interacting. Um, and how the father was instructing his son in how to be, you know, a man, not just a man, but a masculine man. Right. Um, and I, it just made me think of those times where my father was trying to, you know, trying to, to show me how not to behave, you know, right. um, because you don't want to be considered feminine. You know, that's like the worst thing a man can do, especially a black man. Right. You know? Especially a black man. Yeah. So I just, uh, it came to, it didn't, you know, it didn't come to me like poof. I just was looking at that. Um, and I thought, wow, this would, this would, I want to put this in my book. You know, I, I, I probably looked like a complete freak because I was like watching this man and his kid the whole time, you know, like a, like an abductor or something like that. But like, um, I just sat there and I was just scribbling in my notebook, um, just their different little interactions. And that's how, um, and this is a real boy. Like he's somewhere around here. I don't know where he is, um, but it, I, I, I'm sure they don't know that, you know, he's now a literary device in my book, but um, yeah. I don't, uh, think that's so. how it came. I don't think out of all the things I have seen on the bus, that's not the weirdest. So I don't think anyone, <laughs> <laughs> anyone was really worried about that. Um, 
But it is very interesting how, you know, we decide to use things or what jogs our memory. Um, And I don't want to sound like cliche, but wow. Like your story is wow from dancing and then being... (laughs) I have to say that story, probably that in the fire. Um, But the (laughs) story... I was like, if you don't grab something, um, <laughs> but I understood in that moment, right? But I was like, boy, get on now. <laughs> but I, I related to it, the, especially the dance, because I felt on the outside of my, like outside of people my whole life. And so in that moment, I was like, this boy going to get left. That's really mm-hmm. what I thought to myself. And then you yeah. did. Yeah. With you saying that you went to rehab and you were working through these addictions and these issues, what was it like writing about this stuff that might have triggered those things? And like, how did you make sure you didn't slip up? Because I couldn't imagine. It was, you know, I'll be honest, like I, it was, when I wrote this book, I was in kind of an isolationist period. Um, like I wasn't going places. I wasn't seeing people. I was afraid. And I thought if I don't work through these stories, like I'm just going to relapse. Um, you know, a lot of these stories are really quite embarrassing. Actually, I think most of them are, you know, for me, but I had to, I had to write it down, um, and, and just look at it and, and have, and, and just come to a place where I'm like, you know, these are all things that make up who you are, not just who you were today, uh, not just who you were then, but who you are today. Right. Uh, so, you know, and I actually did when I sat down to write them, I tried to get into the headspace of where I was, you know, at the time. Uh, and it, it was painful, you know. Uh, I was embarrassed all over again. I was humiliated all over again. I was, um, you know, and also there are, there are places in this book where I'm just a complete jerk, you know? And so when I wrote those stories, I was a jerk again. I was, uh, you know, uh, uh, not considerate of other people's feelings. I mean, um, so yeah, I just told myself like the, you're working through these things, you know, and every day as an addict, you get up and you say to yourself, or I say to myself, like, I'm not going to use today. Um, I'm just going to write. And it helps a lot. You know, I I thank you for sharing that. Um, and like you said, you probably have to talk about it way more than you think when it comes to this book coming out next month. Yeah. I I think it the, the what made this so great was the fact that it was very vulnerable because we all have done things. I mean, you know, I'm going to speak for myself. You know, I'm not that old, but I have done things where I'm like journaling or I'm writing, I'm trying to work on an essay and I'm like, what? I got to write about this. This yeah. is almost, oh God, people going to, oh my goodness. So I think it, the vulnerability is so relatable because when you, when people write, it's like, do you include the bad stuff? Do you make yourself look the, the best possible or do you really let everyone in? And I think with you letting everyone in, in this way, it gives space for a lot more people to do that. Um, whether in their own way, whether it's them opening up to someone and saying like, Hey, I'm struggling with something or deciding not to paint themselves in a perfect way because no, it's perfect. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Like it was, 
it's important. I mean, I'm not a hero in this book, you know. You're not. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> absolutely not. Like, I'm not. You know, there there are moments where I'm just a real, you know, just not a good person, and you know, um, and there's definitely moments in my life where I just haven't been a good person. I think in putting it out there, um, I am trying to be a better person. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one of my goals. You know, every day, just try to be a better person. You know, you're not going to make it every day, but um, I want to be better than I was. I want to treat people better than I used to treat them. And, you know, I don't know that I can do that without looking at my own, you know, foibles as a human being, um, my own Mm. shortcomings as a human being, you know, and particularly when I was in active addiction, I was not a good person, you know, Uh, so when it comes to like whether I should put that in there, I'm like, yeah, just put it in there. Like, and believe me when I tell you, it's going to, it makes me nervous that other people are going to read that. Mm. Um, yeah. I'm like, oh, like the book is out, is going to be out now. Like, and so it's too right. late for me right. to be. <laughs> I'm like, take it off the shelves, take it back. Yeah. Take it back. Can I just get the, can I get the book back so I can just erase these few things? No, it's too late. So, I decided to put those things in there. Um, and I think it builds a bigger, a fuller picture of, um, you know, just a full human being who is struggling um, and who is still struggling to try to just be better. I, yeah, again, like I said, that's honesty because I'm one for, I hate things where I'm like, okay, why are you acting like you don't like go to the bathroom? Like, why are you <laughs> acting like but like you did and I it was definitely laugh out loud there were moments where I was like especially when you were dealing with them when you realized you were now the old person in the club oh yeah I think I laughed very loud because I was like you're describing exactly what you hate and I see it and yeah oh my god there's nothing worse than looking around and realizing that you are now the old person in the club. You are now the the old person that all the young people are looking around going, what the hell is he doing here? Like, you're doing all those old dances, your clothes are out of style. Like, you just, and it just dawns on you like, oh my gosh, I'm the old person in the club. It's the worst, you know. And your commitment to basketball really just (laughs) I just want to give you a hug because I was like first of all there's no way you can be this bad and then like were oh "Oh my gosh Um, no you gotta sell it sometimes so I (laughs) I was it was it was those parts were laughable but then the other parts were just like I want to say cringeworthy because like that's dealing navigating identity is so difficult and so tough but um yeah i i did there was because you know the cap when they reached out to me they're like it's in this new memoir that is honestly humorous and fun and i was reading i was like where's the humor this is um <laughs> and i got to it and i was like oh found it um yeah. <laughs> yeah so it's it's out in the world what are your feelings coming up with it come gonna be coming out like how are you this is your first you know huge memoir this is it yeah um how do i feel you know i try not to think about it too much i try you know because if i start going down that road i'm just going to be thinking about it thinking about it all the time and i won't do Mm -hmm. anything else so you know 
at a certain point, you just have to let it go. You know, mm, that's just, real. Um, you know, if people, I hope people like it. And uh, if they do, that's amazing. And uh, thank you. And if they don't, you know, it's not for everybody. But, you know, as you say, there are moments that are cringeworthy. Um, there are moments that are sad and there are moments that are funny, but that's life, you know. Exactly. Um, that's, you know, every day we wake up to cringeworthy, funny, you know, horrible life and, uh, and we all get through it. And I think that's one of the messages of the book, you know, as well. It's not a trauma narrative. Like I got through it um, and I want it to be kind of cautionary tales, you know, for um, people who feel like they've been given this role that they have to play because of the body that they're in, you know, um, that they have to act a certain way because they are, you know, male or female or black or whatever, you know, I grew up thinking that I had to apologize for my existence because I, um, grew up in this very sort of, um, anti-black environment, uh, in small town, Ohio. Um, and there was racism and, uh, as a gay man, you know, I grew up around a lot of homophobia. Um, and so I just, these are the ways in this book that I was sort of apologizing all the time for, for being born. Um, and some of the stories are sad and some of them are funny and, um, you know, but the bottom line is I'm still here and I want that to, uh, I hope that resonates with anybody who feels like they have to apologize for being. You know, I don't know. I can't speak for everyone. I know a few people who have read it and we've enjoyed it. But if your work, it definitely touched me. And I'm not just saying that because you're on my podcast. I'm positive because <laughs> I don't like it, you know. Um, <laughs> I don't have a problem, but I'm trying to be kind. Okay. I, know <laughs> I know it takes a lot to write, you know. Um, yeah. and I've gotten better at being nice with reviews in the sense of like, hey, this wasn't for me, you know. But your book was definitely moving because I grew up in Fort Worth, Texas. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, my father decided to stick with us, stick us in this private Christian school. Mm. Um, and me and my sister were like the only black people. Like mm-hmm. there were like a few others. And so there was your childhood stories reminded me of me apologizing mm-hmm. because I definitely remember like them telling me where was I going to go when the South rose again? And you're being like, well, I'm just here. And then I remember yeah. someone being like, I had a scar on my face and asking like, is your paint chipping off? And you're having all of these things yeah. that you're trying to like, com- like compress and fit in. And you know, you want to, you want to hang out too. Um, and I've definitely been left some places or, you know, um, yeah. had some awkward moments. Um, yeah. So I definitely, it was, it definitely struck a chord with me and I know it'll struck, um, strike some chords and I've definitely recommended it. Um, I think it was in my reading guide I sent out to some of my newsletter for the uh, May book coming up. And so um, I just, I just want to write as vulnerable as you did. So I think that is something that you should definitely be proud of. And I know you can't think about it. Um, We're going to be having a lot of conversations in May, but there's, I want to talk to you about my favorite line. There were so many, because I have so many highlights. But sure. it's in the rent. And so one of the last <clears throat> last paragraphs. He said, I thought the key to being a black man was to learn how to properly lean on things to look cool. What I didn't know at this time was that black men lean on most 
whether we want to admit it or not, is Black women. Yeah. Um, first of all, I la- I chuckled, and then you brought it back to being like, wow, what made you finally come to that realization that the people you were leaning on the most in your life were Black women? And how have you thanked them now since you've had that realization? Um. <sighs> Well, first of all, I mean, there's my mother, you know, everybody leans on their mother to a certain extent, but, you know, I found in my life that, you know, black women come with a a, uh, kind of a stereotype, right? And this stereotype is strong, you know, uh, resilient, uh, wise, uh, sassy, like this whole thing, right? And, you know, I was a party to that stereotype in a lot of ways because um, I leaned on black women to to like help support me emotionally without ever really realizing, you know, black women aren't just these like strong pillars that, you know, constantly are supporting people. And, you know, uh, black women have problems, too. (laughs) Black women have. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You know, black women have fears as well. Black women have. Um, insecurities as well. Like, you know, and I think a lot of, you know, I mean, let's just say men in general lean on women to make them feel better about themselves, Mm. right? Whether that's like the masculinity trope, like you need a woman to be subservient to you in order to feel like a man, um, or just in other ways, you know, black women get leaned on a lot, you know, I think by society in general, uh, and I, th- you know, by black men in general, it's a power dynamic, um, <clears throat> right? you know, and uh, you can't, if you can't be powerful, you can't feel powerful unless somebody is, um, you know, I think Toni Morrison said, if you can't feel tall unless somebody else is on their knees, then you have a serious problem. And that's what I meant by that line. Um, you know, my father was somebody who needed some needed uh, a woman to be subservient to him in order to feel powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I'm talking about in that in that uh, sentence. You know, um, I hope I made sense there. You um, did. You did. Okay. <laughs> you did. Don't like you. You really did. And yeah, I'm t- when I yeah, you're you're the stories around your father and the especially him coming back in to get food yeah and like no one said and neither one of y'all said anything um it definitely touches on that you know thread especially in black families of secrets that are held yeah Um, Yeah. and protecting the how we protect the perceptions of others in our families um so i just thought that was so interesting and then your realization with the fire of like oh this wasn't just like we're magically not gonna become rich now, but like right. <laughs> when I was like the mind of children. I'm like, what did I think when I was that when I was that age? I um, was so ashamed of being poor. Like that was just whoo. such. It was you know I was so ashamed of it that I just lied when I got out of that house. I lied about where I was from. Mm-hmm. I lied about you know who I was. I lied about my background because in America, being shame being poor is shameful, right? Like you, you are worth less, you know, when you're, when you don't have any money. So, um, yeah. And I think, you know, in a lot of ways, my father, (laughs) it's okay. 
my father was uh, was a uh, a victim of this sort of masculine idea of what men, black men, are supposed to be, uh, and what black women are supposed to be. So, yeah, there's a lot in the book. A lot. And, it, and, it, and the thing is, there's a lot in the book, but it's not. I mean, it's a lot of words. At least how they bound it. It doesn't feel as like. The biggest memoir I read was Casey Gerald's There Will Be No Miracles Here. That was a thick memoir. Um, but this, it's, there's so much in here, but it doesn't feel like there's so much in here until you are done and you, I'm talking to you or I talked to another bookstagrammer and podcaster who read it and we were talking about it and it was like, oh, all that was in there. Yeah. <laughs> all those yeah. things were in there. And I think... <clears throat> You touched on the thing, what you just said about your father. It's something that I've talked to a lot about with my husband about my father and like um, grandparents and so on and so forth. Of we right now have the luxury of going to therapy, mm-hmm. right? And I think a lot about you know what would have been different if our parents got to go to therapy. Yeah. Even, it's like, sure, they didn't acknowledge it, but it's because we couldn't afford it or even, like, we're kept out of it. So it's just, when you just said that, it made me think of, like, what would your life have been? Would you even have a book if you're... <laughs> no, because I, I would be perfectly mentally sane and there would be no reason to write a book. You know, right. the best books are from people who are completely nutso. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Black mental health, is so important you know we don't as a as a culturally we don't really i don't think value mental health in the sense that you know i don't think we will go to a therapist or get you know prescribed medications for anxiety and depression you know i'm proud to say that i'm on both right anxiety (laughs) and depression you know and they help me out immensely um, but considering what Black people have been through and are continuing to go through um, in America, like, hell yes, you're stressed out, you know. Yes, you're depressed. Like, um, so, yeah, I hope that this book speaks to the need for um, uh, mental health um, in, in the Black community as well. Um, most people who have read it say they finish it in like a day or two, um, which is really flattering like um and they say that there's a lot in there which is also really flattering like i can't bear to look at it anymore <laughs> I, bet. I mean you wrote it then you had to edit it then you're like you have to relive it each time you read it um oh. i i get i get it yeah, I, 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 I sympathize with you on that <laughs> um but i'm a big advocate for mental health um yeah. especially for black mental health when I was in my master's, I got officially diagnosed with depression. Um, I did my master's at University of Iowa. So I know the Midwest life for about three years. Oh my gosh. I, I apologize. <laughs> I laughed because I just did a talk for them and I was like, I'm not speaking to y'all unless y'all pay me. So uh-huh. they paid me some a little coin, which is as a as a PhD student, anything is better than nothing. But um yeah. I it was the realization of like being from the South. I at least know why you don't like me. Like when I was in the Midwest, I was like, are you racist? Are you just rude? Like, I don't, (laughs) which one is it? Um, My experience in Ohio was they are both. (laughs) (laughs) 
Right. Yeah. One begets the other. Before. Right. One, and I said, I'd rather know I'm being poisoned than like not know I'm being poisoned and have right. to guess why I'm dying. Right. Um, but I became really vocal about it because I remember when my first problem, like my first time in high school when I was really depressed, my dad was like, what do you have to be depressed about? And I'm like, mm. Yeah, everything. everything. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I um. And as a PhD student, I read these books and I I keep ideas in my head for a future syllabus. Um. Mm-hmm. Study health communication. Um. And I want to teach a Black health class, Black yeah. health communication. And so your book and um. Bossy Ickby's um, I'm telling the truth, but I'm lying are two yes. books I would definitely want on a syllabus for um mental the mental health module as they would say um so i i don't know there's so much to say about there's so much to say about your book and because it's not out i don't want to give anything away but <laughs> what what was the toughest story to tell and what was the easiest one that was like you even laughed while you were telling it the easiest one to tell by far was the one at the um bathhouse the sex club um because i look even though that story is you know when you read it it sounds kind of like yeah traumatic i look back on it now and i can laugh about it you know um so it's a story called arena uh it's about a sex club um that used to exist in the city of pittsburgh that i went to um so that was the easiest one to write i think the you know it's a toss-up uh of what uh ones were more difficult to write um i think um the one um about going to the university to have my medical exam without giving anything away i think that was the that was the most embarrassing one to write um you know it's one that i when I was writing it, I was like, am I really going to write about this? Am I going to tell these people this shit? Am I really gonna... <laughs> I was waiting for you to swear so I could swear. I've been trying I not to swear. No, I could yeah, I could have I should have told you. I am everything is fair. Yes. I said to myself, am I going to tell people about this shit? Am I really going to tell people about this? Damn it. Um <laughs> and then I wrote it and I thought, well, this is, you know, this is kind of an important aspect of it, you know, because you know, I had gotten to a point where I was just debasing myself um, for drugs because I really and truly believed for most of my life that I was worth nothing. Uh, you know, I believed that, you know, racism, I believed everything that racism taught me. I believed everything that homophobia taught me. Mm. And so I just believed that I was wrong. So why not go for these medical exams and, you know, and then do drugs all day. Um, So, yeah, I think that was probably the most, one of the more, one of the tougher ones to write. And as a reader, that was one of the tougher ones to read. Yeah. Um, For me, because, yeah, it was, it was, you could feel, I got secondhand embarrassment. Yeah. <laughs> like listening, like reading your thoughts as it's happening. It's like, are you, I'm like, are you embarrassed at all why this is happening? Are you only embarrassed now that it's like past? Um, yeah. 
And then I was like, what have we Both. all done? <laughs> Both. What have we Both. all yeah, I'm embarrassed. I was embarrassed about it at the time. I'm still embarrassed about it, but you know now everybody gets to you know, share in my embarrassment um, at the at the things that I did in this book. Um, you know, just to be accepted. I think I think that the, the one of the themes of the book is like is acceptance. Like I just want to feel like I'm worthy, and I still don't um, some days. And there, but the difference now is that there are days when I do, you know, and this book is all about the days when I didn't feel worthy of love or acceptance and the things that I did in order to try to garner those things in my life. And some of them were sad and some of them were were kind of funny. Again, everyone, that's why this book is so good because it's so relatable in the sense of like, if I think of the most embarrassing thing that I've done, <laughs> and I had to the other day because one of my former students, excuse me, oh, you're fine, had like flipped their moped years ago and he's still embarrassed about it. And I was like, honestly, that's not that embarrassing. Like, you don't yeah. know. And, I'm, and I had to disclose my most embarrassing college story. And they were like, oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> Yeah. Flipping a moped is um, easy. Wait, are you going yeah. to tell me or what? You yes. Okay. So I went to, you know, I was you know, <laughs> college. I was in, I was an undergrad at the time and I was, I was a very straight laced kid. My parents were very strict. So when I got to, I went to HBCU for two and a half years. And when I got there, I went to a football party and, you know, I called myself being whatever. And I got plastered it was mm. so like okay that happens well so <laughs> like a week later i'm sitting in the cafeteria and i hear some of the football guys talking um and they're talking about this girl who was like so wasted and was thrown up by the tree and was laying in the oh. ground at the driveway in the driveway of the house and all this other stuff. And one of the guys I knew, they're really nice. And um, oh, in that moment, I had to be like, do I tell them it was me? <laughs> I just walk off. And like, it was one of those things of like, the school is small enough to where it would get around. And it yeah. just was like, I would rather have flipped a moped, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's oh not you past that, like not me laying in the driveway of the house. It, Never again. Um, yeah. I have been there. I have been there so many times. Believe me, you read the book. You know. I read the book, and so that's why probably like no one, my friends know that story. So whenever they hear that, they're gonna be like, "Oh, I remember freshman year joy." <laughs> <laughs> so we all have those embarrassing things, and then not that they. It's like everyone's embarrassing is the most embarrassing for them, yeah. but knowing that like hey, we've all gone through something. Yeah. Um, and so as this is a personal question for me. I'm an aspiring writer. Sure. I'm working on an essay collection. Hopefully, eventually, I will get it together. What is your, and I know other other people who listen to this like like to write, and, um, and we're also, you know, grad students as well. What is your number one piece of advice on how to go go here right like go here to write something this deep and authentic oh boy um that's a big one 
you know. My bad. No, no, it's okay because I'm gonna I'm gonna say this, but it's actually advice that I don't really follow that well myself. Um, and the advice is just right, like just do it consistently. You know, um, like make a time every day. You know, I'm gonna write from one to three, or 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 make a goal every day. I'm gonna write, you know. 200 words a day, you know, and just be consistent with that. Um, and never mind if you think it's crap, you know, you're not the best judge of your own writing. Um, never mind if you think it's crap. Never mind if somebody else thinks it's crap. Just do it consistently because it has to exist before anybody can, you know, read it. You know, that's the biggest thing that I have problems with. Like, it, Brian, you, I tell myself, like, nobody can read this unless it exists. Um, so you have to make it exist. Um, I guess the other thing is um, don't be afraid to not be the hero of your story. Um, don't be afraid to just be like, okay, I was an asshole and this is how, you know, if you're gonna write a memoir, you know, I also encourage black writers to not necessarily have to write about race all the time. Um, you know, write your like space fantasy or your like fairy tale or your, you know, uh, period piece. It doesn't have to always be about blackness. Um, right. You know, write your things, like write whatever strikes your fancy. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, like Octavia Butler, people were constantly asking her about, you know, the race, the implications of race in her work. And I think she was like, look, these, this is about space aliens. Like, <laughs> it's not about race, you know. <laughs> So I encourage other black writers to write, you know, write what, what, what story you want to write, but it doesn't always have to be about blackness. It doesn't always have to be about um, those kinds of things. Um, but be consistent, write every day, keep to your schedule. Um, again, that's not advice that I really strictly follow myself, but one day I wish I, 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 I hope I do. So there's yeah. my like hypocritical advice for writers, you know. Do what I, I say, it. do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> I, love it. I love it. The thing is, as a PhD student, like they tell us we should be writing every day too. And mm -hmm. I'm like, but I also have to read for y'all. Then I have to be a TA. And then I yeah. have to, when am I supposed to like, oh, and I'm supposed to sleep and I'm supposed yeah. to exercise and like I'm supposed right. to have a social life. Well, oh. no one has a social life, but. Uh, <laughs> There's never going to be enough hours in the day ever. To do all this stuff. Yeah. Um, but even if it's like, you know, 30 minutes, you know, um, just something to get you. I mean, the, that's really how I finished this book. Now, granted, when I was doing a lot of the writing for this book, we were in a pandemic, I think. Um, no, maybe we weren't. I can't remember. Um, but I, I, no, I know what it was. I wasn't going anywhere because I was afraid I was going to like relapse on drugs. Mm -hmm. So I was just at home anyway. So, you know. Um, that's where a lot of this writing got done. So I cheated a little bit. Not to say, I mean, I guess since you were already isolating yourself, this pandemic, staying home was nothing oh. new to you. You're like, this is easy. Please. This was a cakewalk, except I was eating pie. I, I was rewarding myself by eating pie. <laughs> like I would tell myself like, okay, if you finish a chapter, you can walk up because there's a store around the corner from my house oh, so and they funny. sell they sell such a good sweet potato pie. And 
I would tell myself, okay, Brian, if you finish like this chapter, you know, you can walk up to the store and get a piece of pie. And I put on more pie weight than you can possibly imagine. Uh, so that was my one vice. I was just eating pie every day. No judgment. No judgment. No, none. 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 None at all. None at all. All right. Thank you. I'm probably thank you for not judging me. Today. I, I have no room to judge. The amount of ice cream I have consumed in this pandemic. Yeah. You may as well be happy. You may as well be happy. I mean, come on. The world's coming to an end and it's like, I can't have ice cream. Please. I can't have ice cream. I can't like please leave me alone. Stop yeah. this madness about me losing. <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm trying to live. Um, <laughs> I definitely, definitely get the pie. Sweet potato pie sounds good. Oh, so good. So good. I'm gonna have some today. There you go. Walk Just, on up. Because I, I was like, I'm gonna do an interview with Joy, and after I'm done, I'm gonna reward myself with pie. Well, so, this is what this is one of the first of many interviews you probably have coming. Um, so just buckle up. Yeah, I know. It's uh there's a lot there's a lot that um I I'm looking forward to. It's you know, a little unnerving um at times, but again, the bottom line is I just I hope people can relate to the book. I hope that uh um, you know, and when I started writing it, I was like, I am writing this for black boys, you know, just to tell black boys that you don't have to be this thing that you know, society keeps telling you that you are. And then right. as I kept writing it, I was like, well, you know, I was telling people about it. And, you know, uh, friends of all from all backgrounds were saying, yeah, you know, I can relate to that. Like, I can relate to <clears throat> feeling like I had to be a certain way in order to in order to count, in order to matter. So I really hope that, you know, everybody can get something out of it. Um, in terms of your self-worth and, and your value. Learn from my mistakes, basically. You know, these these stories are cautionary tales. I think a lot yes. of them are. Don't go to get checkups. What's that again? Don't go to the doctor to get... Yeah, don't, don't do... Or anything else. Yeah, just don't do anything that I did in this book, um, <laughs> basically. Uh, until the end, maybe. But, like, um, don't... This is not a how-to guide. It's... It's a cautionary... <laughs> These are cautionary tales uh, that I hope I wrote in a compelling way. You did. And this, listen, and this year is, there are so many good books coming out this year. It is, I, my my head is, I have whiplash of being like, I need to read that. I need to read that. I need to read that. Right. Um, so have you read any books this year that are like, what are, what are some books you've enjoyed reading, whether they came out oh. this year or... You know, I haven't really had a whole lot of time to read. Like I am also in grad school. Um, until recently, like I'm just coming up on my MFA graduation. Um, thank you. Thank you. Um, I haven't, I started reading cast Isabel Wilkerson. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't been able to just be able to sit down and, and read a book. Like, um, yeah, I want, and I can't wait until I can sit down and read a book. I wanted to read, um, Middlesex as well. Okay. Uh, I have this like stack of books, right? That who does I want to get through. But let's see, what was the last thing I read that I really enjoyed? Oh, um, Jhumpa Lahiri's um, uh, oh something maladies. I can't remember. You know who Jhumpa Lahiri is? Yes, but I also don't know the name of the book. But it's something I need to add on to my TBR. Um, um, yeah, it's it's, it's it is. Like, a my stack of books to read is very big as well. 
Yeah. So that was the last thing that I read that I really, really enjoyed. I think she's got a real uh, great talent. And um, there's an author called Reginald McKnight, um, who we don't hear a lot about. Okay. Um, but he has a book called The Kind of Light That Shines on Texas, um, which was one of the last books that I read that was really good. He's also um, a nonfiction writer, um, and he writes short stories in the style that that mine are written. Um, he just, you know, uh, I don't think there's any cohesion to them, but he just is really a great, like, poetic writer. So, yeah, Jhumpa Lahiri and Reginald McKnight um, are the last two books that I read that were just fantastic. Definitely going to be adding both to my growing stack of books. <laughs> um, or at least put it on my Goodreads list and then like eventually get to it. I too have a very, very large stack of books to get to. I own probably now over upwards of 200 books I haven't read. And Look at this thing behind me. I don't know if you can see. It's just full. I mean, I had to close it. I had to jam it closed. So I wouldn't look like a complete slob on your no, back. No, it's those are the, those are the best kind. Like there used to be, we're moving soon, so there used to be a huge stack of books back here, and they were just yeah. And everyone be like, "Oh my god, what are you reading?" I'm like, "There, those aren't the ones I'm reading." There's yeah. just, <laughs> just a stack of them. Um, so yeah, you are in good company this year of your book coming out. It's in Thank great you. conversation. I just think I think of all the books it would go well with in the canon of like adding this book with you if you like this book you would like this book um yeah. definitely make me think the humor and the seriousness definitely makes me think of michael Akronu, i can't date jesus and um but that makes me think of black boy running out of time that just came out so i just i don't know i could say so much and i'm just so grateful that you came on my little bitty podcast oh thank you for having me you got to chat with me and um congratulations on this mfa coming up like that is that is huge. So the more the, the more people, the more black folks we have getting those degrees and using them and writing them and teaching people. Um, I know those things are intense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's so. been intense. It's not over yet, but we're getting that. I can see the finish line now. There you go. That's all that matters. Just sprint, walk, crawl. But as long as you get across, <laughs> that shit, as long as you get across, that shit is done. Yeah. So um, thank, thank you. you. I'm, so, I'm so glad you like the book. Really. I really I, I uh, I did. I genuinely did. Like, if I if I don't like a book, it takes me longer to finish. So the fact that I finished, or sometimes if depending on how thick the book is, obviously, but like yeah. I <clears throat> I read it, and there's only reason why there's not more highlights is because I read it in the bed with my little reading light. Oh, nice, nice. It's a compromise I had to make with this man that's called my husband. <laughs> um, have a read, and so I couldn't have like the reading light and the highlight and the dog on my feet. So I was like, I just gotta remember yeah. I like this this part tomorrow. Um, <laughs> so thank you so much. I can't wait to hear what other people think when this comes out. And that's it. Thank you. I really, really appreciate you having me. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.